Well, hello. Ryan Tutel and Colton Juan is here with you, and welcome to the introduction to what is the Grizz Greats Coaching Tree Podcast Series. And we just wanted to take a quick minute, Coulter and I, to kind of lay this out for everybody, uh, not just what it is, but kind of what we took away from it and why we're so excited. And Coulter, the opportunity uh, to talk to all nine living coaches from the University of Montana men's basketball uh, uh, tree and program uh, was a great treat. And they were very generous with their time. Obviously, several of these coaches still very much in the heart of their careers uh, and uh, and obviously Travis DeCure as the head coach today, presently, of this uh, program. But they were all uh, wonderful to talk to, a lot of fun. And it's interesting to me, I think one of the things that I found really unique and fun about this thing was for as much sort of lineage as there is, and you talk about the tree and the, the sort of um, um, direction that was, was almost totally singular, there's a couple of outlying sort of scenarios over the course of 40 years, but the variance in personality and type of coach that there is from Jim Brandenburg to Stu Morrill to Travis DeCure to Larry Kristoviak. I mean, Larry Kristoviak and Wayne Tinkle, the two coaches who are currently in the Pac-12 from this lineage, right? who were back-to-back coaches at the University of Montana, are wonderful guys and also couldn't probably be more disparate in their personalities either. And it's it was it was great fun to talk to uh, all of these guys and we're excited to bring this podcast series to to everybody. And I think that anybody that follows Grizz basketball either casually or intensively will really enjoy this, but I also think anybody that doesn't, anybody that's connected to Missoula or the state of Montana or the University of Montana or enjoys sports or enjoys history or enjoys a combination of all the things I just listed will thoroughly enjoy this podcast because it's rich with not just hoops but nostalgia, memories, history, the way things used to be, the way things became how they are now, the way that these guys remember each other. All of that was so great. The the thing that's so interesting about this coaching tree is that some of these guys worked for and with each other, played for and with each other. And so, I mean, you look at like Larry Kostovic and Wayne Tinkle, played at Montana, crossed paths as players, ended up working alongside each other. Wayne Tinkle worked for Larry Kostovic, right. took over after Larry Kostovic. And so th- the connections, the interweaving of the web is fascinating. But I also think that one thing that, People have touched on this before, but this specific basketball program, to have the emperor of it in Judd Heathcote and the godfather in Mike Montgomery, but to have the the coaching tree, the the matriculation of all the similar theories of the way things, how things should be done, and all the crossover, to have it last for basically 40 consecutive years with the exception of the two-year blip that was Pat Kennedy. And by the way, we did interview him too because... He's so such a fascinating part of this tree because he's not part of it. And that was one of the most fascinating interviews in this podcast. But there are programs across the country, whether you're talking about Duke or North Carolina or Villanova or Kansas or Michigan State, that have the utmost prestige, such tradition, great success. But you look at Michigan State, for example, where Judd Heathcote went from Montana to Michigan State. They've had two coaches. 
during Judd their during their rise. Tom Izzo, Judd Heathcote, Tom Izzo. Right. Duke has had the same coach since 1980. Right. Syracuse just finally got a new coach for the first time in 40 years. Duke basketball just is Mike Shashevsky. The only comparable one really is North Carolina, but they've had because of the Dean Smith coaching tree sure. with guys like uh, Bill Guthridge and um, Matt Doherty and Roy Williams, but that's still only three guys, not nine. Yeah, and then you factor in Robin Selvig on the University of Montana women's side, who is absolute definition of a maverick. He basically created the fervor for women's basketball in the state of Montana, and it's one of the great states in terms of support of female athletics in general, but specifically girls and women's basketball. And so you factor all those things together, and I think it's you, it's not hyperbole to say that is a, it's a truly unique story that has a place alone in the history of college basketball. It's really unique as well in the following sense. A lot of coaches who are successful go on to be successful at various places. You can look at John Calipari, for instance, and many others who have gone on to different arenas. But at the low major level of college basketball, most coaches, their exit is in a non-renewal or a firing. I mean, that's just the way it goes. And if you leave a small school program, a small conference program, it's usually to go maybe be on a staff at a bigger school or something like that. And certainly plenty of coaches from the University of Montana have done that very thing. But it is remarkable. I defy you to find another program in the country that is in a comparable conference that has had the coaches that have gone on to be NBA head coaches, Team USA coaches, high major basketball, multiple programs, head coaches. And not to mention successful. I mean, you take Blaine Taylor, for instance, he was never a head coach at a high major program, but he is going to be, as he told us, he's going to be a Hall of Famer at Old Dominion. He's the leader in the, at all time at that program. Stu Morrill goes to Colorado State and then Utah State forever. And that program is a top 25 program in the nation built on what he did there year in and year out. So the he, sneakiest home court advantage in the country totally. because of the success Stu Morrill had. I mean, what was the stat David gave us? He won like... What, like 97% of his games at home or something like that? 97, but it's, it's insane. I mean, he so, won hundreds of games and lost certainly less than uh, less than a couple dozen at it's home. It's just interesting because certainly assessing guys, oh, yeah, you're the head coach of, of the Golden State Warriors, of the Milwaukee Bucks, that's big time, and everybody gets that. What people don't appreciate maybe as much as they should is you're the head coach for 15 years at the same school and are the all-time winningest coach in the history of the program at that place? You're a walking, walking legend there, and that started at the University of Montana. And by the way, many of these guys are legends at the University of Montana as well. Well, a lot of times, too, you take for granted when success is being had at places you assume that should be and could be successful. People forget that no one could figure it out at Stanford until Mike Montgomery went there. Right. And Mike Montgomery went to multiple Final Fours at Stanford. And then since Mike Montgomery's left, they have not gone to multiple Final no, Fours. No, they have not. Cal produced at least one lottery pick a year, it seemed like. The, for the first 15 years of the 20th century and, and without Mike Montgomery and his And they don't even have there. a practice facility at Cal, which is right. insane. So Mike Montgomery right. has definitely uh, made big waves, but then Jim Brandenburg and his time at sure. Wyoming and going to the NCAA tournament multiple times with the Cowboys and up through, I mean, the other most fascinating part about this is you think about Judd Heathcote and then Brandenburg, so much success at Wyoming. Mike Montgomery, so much success at Stanford. 
and Stu Morrill, so much success, Colorado State, Utah State, none of those guys went to the NCAA tournament. But then Blake Taylor Blake's through, but still just two trips to the NCAA tournament. But the foundation continues to be fortified, continues to be fortified, and now here we are, the Grizz are really reaping the benefits of it. Larry Kristoviak kicks down the door, wins a tournament game, and he told us, a little tease for Larry K's episode, he said, us losing in the Big Sky Tournament Championship when I was a player multiple times, I couldn't have that be my legacy at Montana, losing my my championship games. We had to go win one of those games. They did it by winning the Big Sky Tournament. They did it by winning in the NCAA Tournament. And that set the stage now for what has been an unprecedented reign of success at Montana. They've been to the NCAA Tournament five times in ten years, and they are the premier team in the Big Sky Conference. The last thing I want to touch on is this. I found it so very interesting because this is so chronological from Jim Brandenburg up through Travis DeCure. And the 40 years of history that is outlined in the University of Montana basketball program is also 40 years of American history. And when you talk about the race relations that are exemplified throughout the course of time, particularly in basketball, and then in a place in a state like Montana and Missoula, and you hear what Jim Brandenburg has to say and the progression that happens through each and every coach in each decade to the point now where Travis DeCure is the first African-American head coach in the history of the University of Montana, one of the only African-American head coaches in the Western United States. And as Travis DeCure put it to us, which I had not considered before, which I thought was very, very poignant, the only African-American head coach in any conference who has the best job in his conference. And to see where this program was and where America was in the even the 70s on through the 80s, 90s, and, and, and right through today, uh, I think is a really telling and interesting story told in their own words, somewhat unwittingly at times and also at times very directly, um, which I thought was an amazing thread to sort of consider given the sport and the location that this is happening in. And I thought that was uh, a really appealing part and an important part of this podcast series as well. I think you and I would agree that one of our most uh, favorite parts about sports, but particularly college athletics in rural towns in Montana, is the the integration and the melting pot that is just the the coming together of all sorts of cultures. I mean, right. we've, we've covered Grizz hoops teams that had guys from Seattle and Oakland, but also Australia and Serbia, right and to have all of those young men come together and share their experiences and meet each other and bond, it's so cool to watch. I mean, Kendall Manuel on the University of Montana men's basketball team now, he's related to Nelson Mandela. How? What? And right. for him to share his stories of his dad playing for the national team in Mozambique and then bringing that. But he grew up in Montana, too, so he has so much cross-culture. And I think that the story of college athletics and the reason that athletics in general have been so important and have risen to such prominence in the American conscious is that integration. Some of the great social leaders, some of the great people in the civil rights movement, Muhammad Ali, for example, were athletes. You look at Montana State football. I've talked with Sonny Holland about this a lot. Sonny Holland from Butte, Montana. In 1940, Butte was perhaps the most diverse city in the Western United States. right, exactly. And so when Sonny Holland was playing for the Cats in the mid-50s, he said, we went to go play in the Aluminum Bowl in Arkansas, and I had four black teammates, and they told me we couldn't stay together. And we said, "That's what are you talking about? Because the, the racism that ran rampant in America was not part of the equation. Because Sonny Holland said, I, mean, I was living in Butte 
there's people from all over the world that are living here. And the so, oldest Chinese restaurant west of the Mississippi still to this day <laughs> is there because of all of all of the immigrants and everybody who piled into Butte to survive. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's it is a great point because some of the great stories that are part of this are some of the recruiting stories. And recruiting used to be so much different. And learning about the way that the college basketball has evolved and hearing those stories, so fascinating. But we talked to guys like Jim Brandenburg and Mike Montgomery, who had the pleasure of coaching Michael Ray Richardson, one of the greatest players in program history. But they, they talked about just what it was like talking to a kid from Denver to come into Montana. But Montana set the pace in terms of, of some of the desegregation, of la- for lack of a better word, in, in the league. And I think that it's culminated in a very cool state of affairs that currently exists at Montana. But I think that my favorite part about this podcast was the the nostalgic feelings that all of these guys still have for Missoula. The spirit of Missoula that we all love, it, it comes through in all of their stories. And also how much pride they have in being connected to each other and being connected to the University of Montana it's amazing, and I think that every single one of them mentioned how this set the stage for their entire life, whether it was they met their wife in Missoula or they launched their coaching career or a combination of of their life coming together. It's I hope everybody really digs in and makes time for this because it's absolutely worth your time to listen to. Well, it has been a ton of fun to do. Uh, we certainly, again, want to thank the 10 coaches, uh, including Robin Selvig, very, very explicitly for their time and participating in this with us. We enjoyed it greatly. We hope you enjoy it as well. Enjoy the Grizz Greats Montana Men's Basketball Coaching Tree Podcast. It is presented by our friends at Blackfoot Communications, or thanks to them as well. Off we go.